Hello, everybody, and welcome to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. My name is Adam Homie. I am your host, and I am honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. We have listeners across the spectrum. We have your marketing and business coaches. We have your small business owners, local business owners. We have the folks who help others create their businesses, who we like to call the business creators. And we have those of you who like to have your own hands on the levers as you market and grow your business, in which I actually count myself in that category. It's a very exciting place to be. If you are one or more of the above, and I suspect most of you are more than one of the above, please check in with our website, explore episodes at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. Also, be sure to check us out on iTunes, where we have over 160 episodes full of content from experts in a wide variety of subject areas and topics who have come together to help you win at the game of business and marketing. So that is where we are today, and I am very excited about today's topic. Those of you who have been tuning into the Business Creators Radio Show for a while may remember that about a year ago, give or take a year ago, I can't remember the exact date, but uh, it's within the past year, we had with us a great appearance by Perry Marshall, who um, actually had shared with us on 80-20 sales and marketing. This was one of my favorite, although all the episodes are great. I really love this particular episode because it had so much to do with that famous question that I ask all of our guests about time and money. His episode was about time and money, the 80-20 sales and marketing. In fact, I'm looking at it. It went live on April 7, 2015. So just go to our website, find Perry Marshall in the guest directory, and scroll down to that. Today, we have Perry back, and it's going to be a little bit of a different topic. Sometimes here in the Business Creators Radio Show, we like to mix things up. And we're going to be talking about Evolution 2.0. That's the topic of Perry's new book. And the topic of our interview today is Evolution 2.0 and Evolving Your Business with Perry Marshall. Perry, welcome back. It's a pleasure to have you once again. Well, it's great to be on your show, and you have a quite an amazing variety of people on. So it's an honor to be on that crew. And, you know, we were just talking before we went on about you know, the world is changing in some very interesting ways. And so, hey, you know, it is it is time to evolve, and you, you better have a strategy for doing it. Agreed. I think that we are in a period of some pretty exciting change around the world. We're seeing changes in the economic profile of the globe. We're seeing a lot of changes politically. We can't deny that, not just in the United States, but in many places around the world, things that have, we have not experienced or seen in our generational lifetimes are showing up. And even though an astute student of history knows that this is really all just a rerun, the fact is because it's new to us, we don't have the opportunity to appreciate the opportunities that are in front of us right now. And when I say opportunities, I love when things are up for grabs. I love when we're in the middle of a big power shift, a big cultural shift, a big evolutionary shift, which is why having you on the show at this time is just so perfect in, term of the grand, in terms of the grand schemes of things, because this is, to me, a very, very exciting time to live. I just keep saying that. Sorry. 
So what I'd like to do here, because, Terry, you are a returning guest, so we don't have to do the time and money thing again. In fact, I've referred our listeners to your episode, which is our time and money episode. Uh, just tell me uh, what's going on with the new book here, uh, Evolution 2.0, Evolving Your Business. Uh, tell us about what brought you to the intersection of brilliance and passion that led to you giving us this gift. Well, this started out as a not business project at all. And in some respects, it's not a business project. But in other respects, I found it extremely applicable to business in many ways. And in fact, I've, um, I've built a number of tools and taught courses and done seminars where I took ideas that I stole from biology and I walked across the street and I brought them into the business zone. And um, in, in fact, we're, we even have a, I have a software company with a, a partner of mine where we're actually implementing some of the stuff uh, on silicon, if you will. And so, um, so let, let me kind of tell you the crazy story uh, of how this began and as we go along, I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of go back and forth, and some of it's gonna be science. Uh, we could possibly even get into some of the religious questions. Uh, definitely gonna talk about business marketing. If you're doing things like Google ads, Facebook ads, we're gonna have some some things that help you there. Um, but you know, I'm sure uh, there's not a single person listening who hasn't at some point. Uh, gotten sucked into the old, you know, creation evolution argument. And, uh, right. you know, that's like, you know, if you want to make friends, you know, it's right up there with abortion, gay rights, gun control, immigration, you know. Right. Uh, things that most people probably aren't going to talk about at a cocktail party. Um, this turned into, however, uh like I think the biggest untold story of the century, and in fact it's become something that I can bring up at a cocktail party and three minutes later everybody's sitting forward going, really? Nobody ever told me that before. Um, and I, I had no idea that was going to happen. So let me kind of tell you how this started. So if you rewind to um, 2004, I was just kind of trucking along, growing my business, you know, starting to teach Google AdWords, doing different kinds of stuff like that. Um, and um, I went to China to visit my brother. And at the time, he was teaching English and he was a part-time Christian missionary. But the irony was is that he had basically discarded his Christian beliefs. He was now um, heading in the direction of becoming an atheist. Uh, we had had a bunch of discussions about this, and I we were riding on this bus, and we we're having yet another argument about this. And um, it, it's it's really ironic because. You know, our dad was a minister, and we grew up in this really religious environment, and, and Brian's just kind of up-checking the whole thing. And and so back and forth and back and forth, this conversation goes. And finally, at one point, I go, hey, Brian, uh, you know, look at the hand at the end of your arm. I said, that is a fine piece of engineering. I said, 
you don't think that's the result of like a long accumulation of random accidents, do you? And he's like, hold on a second, buddy. Uh, yes, it is. And like he, he had, is like, he had the whole script memorized and like he'd flipped on that one too. And I'm just scratching my head. I'm going, Oh my goodness, this is crazy. Um, and, and so we, we argued about that a little bit. And, um, and he's like, look, Perry, you know, if, if, if a Falcon is flying around and there's, there's billions of Falcons in the world and they've been around for millions and millions of years, he goes, that's a lot of Falcons. And he goes, you know, if, if some, you know, mutation or copying error happens in their DNA every now and then, it's bound to be better. And that's all that needs to happen because then the best ones will will uh, outcompete the worst ones and survival of the fittest will kick in and presto, you got better falcons. So, you know, you don't need any kind of designer to have a, a hand at the end of your arm. It's It's just that's the way it works. Well, I didn't know if I agreed with that or not. In fact, I was pretty sure I didn't, but but the thing is, is I knew I didn't know. Like, I haven't gone down this rabbit hole. I don't know. I mean, I'm an engineer. I have this way I think the world works, but I'm not a biologist. Maybe the biologists know something I don't know. And um, I decided I'm going to find out. And this put me on the most twisting, turning journey I had no idea what I was about to uncover. And now, frankly, it scared me. It's like, wow. well, I don't know. You know, maybe I'll end up, like, completely changing my belief system, too. Like, maybe Brian's right. I don't know. That's scary. Maybe we're going to have Thanksgiving dinner and we're going to have arguments about religion versus atheism with my family members. I, I don't know what's going to happen, but I just plunged myself into the void and, and decided to see what would happen next. You know, I think that, and this is something I've thought about too, uh, creationism versus evolutionism, uh, not really the topic of things we discuss too deeply in the Business Creators Radio Show, but, uh, you know, it just occurred to me, you know, we look at the structure of human beings. I mean, let's just spend a minute on this because we can. Yeah. Uh, you look at the structure yeah. of human beings. We get, we get goosebumps, and we're not 100% sure why. But we notice we get goosebumps where, when we're in sort of a fight or flight mode. Sometimes that's prompted by fear. Sometimes it's prompted by a magic marker on a whiteboard. Uh, yeah. But the reason the goosebumps happen is because just like – and I have two cats. Now, I don't think my cats have ever had opportunity to be afraid of anything. They've been in a very sheltered environment. I've made sure that they're well-fed and that they're loved, and they don't have to worry about anything in life ever. But I've been around angry and scared cats before, uh, like feral cats and such, and they turn themselves sideways, and they have this ability to make their fur stand up so they almost look like miniature lions. Well, yeah. the reason they believe that humans get goosebumps is the same thing. Back when our ancestors used to be a lot hairier, when we got in a situation where we got into fight or flight, uh, the goosebumps would cause human hair, which more closely resembled fur, to stand up to make us look bigger than we were to intimidate our rivals and our enemies and create a safe area for ourselves. Uh, same, you know, other, there's other things too. Uh, human beings have tailbones, but we don't have tails. Well, mm -hmm. doesn't that tell you that maybe there was a tail at some point? I mean, we don't know for sure. We don't have a time machine to go look and verify and fact check, but right. could be. Uh, we also have the appendix, which is like an extra thing. 
and there's a lot of debate over what the appendix was uh, was for, and a mm-hmm. lot of us uh, and a lot of us uh, have different things happen with our wisdom teeth. Some of us have our wisdom teeth pulled. Some of us hate needles so much that we leave our wisdom teeth in. But you know, <laughs> like me for example, uh, my wisdom teeth are still in. Three of them actually managed to grow out properly. The fourth one didn't. So I have to spend extra time brushing in that area every day. Uh, but back in the day, we used to have bigger jaws, and we used to need more teeth. So that tells me that uh, I believe that evolution may have been the one that actually wins, evolution versus creationism. But if I want to get into that debate myself, which I really don't right now, I could also <laughs> argue that evolution was God's will. Uh, and if you, you look in the Bible and you see how Adam and Eve were created, and you see how Eve was created from Adam's rib. That, to me, could also be an argument that God had made the decision that he was going to, or she, rather, or you know, how, whatever you believe in God, is going to evolve one species or one organism from another. And to me, that's perfectly fine. I believe that there's actually room for all of it. And being an entrepreneur for 13 years, being a you know, quote-unquote marketing guy for eight of those years, um, being an effectiveness consultant and all these other things that I've done, I've noticed that uh, all the businesses and all the clients that have been with me for a long time, like the ones that have been with me for 10 years, for 11 years, the reason they've been around so long and they continue to grow is because they take an evolutionary approach. The flashes in the pans are the ones that have the – Big ideas. I'm going to put up a squeeze page. And I'm going to have a million dollars in 30 days, and and the hell with the world. It's just going to happen. Or they spend so much time in meetings debating the possibility of creating an agenda for pre-launch that they eventually just fizzle out for the funds disappearing and getting drained out on all those pizzas and bottles of mug root beer. So you just uh, you just look at it, and I found that the greatest success my businesses and my clients have had is when they take that approach of allowing things to evolve. And Perry, I've been following you for 10 years now. I mean, I, I first, mm. actually, I first heard your name in 2003. I don't remember the exact mm. context, but I've been hearing about Perry Marshall since 2003. Uh, one of my earliest clients was working with some coach and that coach was having us look at your websites for examples of things. I can't even remember what you had online in 2003, but I remember it was good even then. That's all I remember. Wow. Well, you know, you just said a whole mouthful, and there's there's a lot here. Like, you are no slouch. I mean, I could just tell listening to what you said, you know, you, you pay attention to a lot of things. And, and so when, when Brian asked me that question, first of all, I didn't really have any kind of problem with an evolutionary process. Uh, like, I, if 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 one thing evolves into another, I was totally fine with that. I some people are threatened by that. I was not. The real question for me was: Does it require a plan, or does it just happen? Right? Do billiard balls just bang around in the universe, and eventually you're going to get birds, and eventually you're going to get hands? Like, how does this really work? And and you know you 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 really pinpointed something. You said, you know, when I um, when I see the successful people, they're the ones that are evolving the thing all the time. And in my experience, both as an entrepreneur and as an engineer, was people intelligent people design things, and evolution happens 
by design. Like this was my experience. And I said, you know, like, like all of the entrepreneurs that, that are listening, every one of them builds things for a living. They might be websites. They might be communities. They might be physical products. They, they might have a manufacturing plant in China, but whatever it is, like we build stuff, right? I mean, just met yeah. everybody. Right. And and I, and I said, you know, I've never seen anything get built without some kind of intention or some kind of plan. But also, you know, if you really pay attention and like you really Internet marketers really get this, like you always have your idea what's going to work. But what actually works ends up always being different. So you end, end up having to try all these different kinds of things. And I and I couldn't help but wonder, well, you know, is that. Is that what's actually going on with cells? Is that is that what actually is going on uh, when you know if if an antelope could evolve into a giraffe? Then I don't know. Maybe it's kind of like Google Ads where they're they're testing stuff now. So what what, what I found is I waded into this topic. I, I basically found two camps. So one was more or less a religious camp that didn't like evolution, and they had all of these explanations of why it didn't work and, and what the problems were. And then you had this other camp and they're like, hey, all you need is time. All you need is millions of years. All you need is billiard balls banging around in the universe. And I I, I started to see that both sides were really missing some important things. And 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 the first the the very first thing was I as I started peeling the onion, and by the way, I got really obsessive about this. Like I went, I bought 200 books. I started reading hundreds of scientific papers. I, I started going into discussion boards and discussing things with people. I started having email conversations with lots and lots and lots of people, like lots of people, probably more than anybody else you've met on this particular topic. And I was like, let's see, like whatever I come up with, can somebody punch a hole in this? Like anything I come up with. And early on, what I one of the first things I figured out is DNA is digital code, and all the same rules that make Ethernet switches and routers and your cell phones and all the internet stuff. It's all like the math is the same. the The basic I, the ideas and the concepts are all the same. DNA is digital code. It's like packets. It's like Ethernet packets. I wrote an Ethernet book in 2002 before I left in, uh, the engineering world and, and, and started being a marketing consultant. I wrote an Ethernet book. And I had this, like, one day it just, like, exploded into my brain when I realized that genes and chromosomes and DNA have basically all the same structures as Internet packets, okay? And Internet packets right. are very, very, very designed, okay? And so the implication was there is a very deep design going on, but but this is this is the part that, that, that ended up being a surprise. That, that was an amazing insight, but it didn't completely surprise me. Here's what surprised me. What I found out was cells evolve in hours like not necessarily millions of years now I, I do think the earth is very old I'm not saying that but so 
when you take you get strep throat and you have to take your antibiotics the doctor says dude you have to finish the bottle right you ever had the nurse tell yes. you that or the pharmacist finish it done because if you don't adam what happens if you don't finish it you're gonna get sick again and you're gonna get more sick than you were before right Usually, yes. Because the bugs become superbugs. Now, here's what's really going on. And this is what nobody tells you. So you're taking antibiotics. you got strep. Those strep germs, they're swimming around in your body. Here comes the antibiotics. And pretty soon, oh, dude, guys, we're in trouble. Like, this poison is leaking in my cell wall. If I don't get rid of this poison, I'm going to have to, I'm going to die. And so that will go around and it will look for another cell that has a pump. Now, all cells pretty much have a Dropbox folder. Uh, biologists call it a plasmid, but I call it a Dropbox folder. It's for file sharing. It's for sharing DNA. And they literally carry around a copy of their DNA for sharing. And those germs will rummage around through your body and they go, ooh, here's a cell. It's got a pump. Pull that code in, suck it in, read it. Find the code that codes for pump, stick it in, insert it, read the code, build a pump, pump the poison out, update my Dropbox folder, share new code with all the other bacteria, and divide off new bacteria that have pumps because Adam didn't finish his antibiotics. And we had a little right. extra time to figure this out. And all of a sudden, now you can't kill him, right? And we've all, we've all heard stories of like, some guy that's in the hospital, and they're like, "Well, this is our third, um, like, third attempt at antibiotics, and if this doesn't work, like, there's nothing we can do." We've all heard these stories, right? And so, what's going on is cells, in some sense, are intelligent. I don't, I, you know, I can't define this for you. I, I'm not a cell. I don't know if they say their prayers before bed and brush their teeth or I, I don't know about that, but yeah. you know, but, but there is something incredibly amazingly sophisticated going on. Okay. And so I, I started getting really interested, like, wow. So like the biologists do so, know something I didn't know, but, but, but it turns out what it is, is that, on a cellular level, your body is doing the same things that humans do in a mastermind group, which is, well, here's 15 different ideas. Which one's the best one for you right now? Okay, and that, that this is literally going on. Like, this is how your immune system works. I found out that there are reliable ways that you can crossbreed two plants or animals together and get a new species literally overnight. And so what I started, I mean, and, and it was incredible, and I had to dig to find this, okay? And so, so this got really interesting as I got further because the creationists were saying that evolution is a hoax. And the evolutionists were saying, no, it just takes millions of years, and it's gradual and accidental, and it's just billiard balls banging around in the universe and there is no plan and there is no structure to it. What I actually find out, evolution actually does happen. It happens all the time. 
there's all kinds of experiments where you can see we started with this and we got this. We started with this and we got this. We started with this and we got this. And it's incredibly, phenomenally engineered. It is unbelievable. A bacterium can do more software programming in 12 minutes than a team of guys can do in 12 weeks. It's amazing. You know, that is, I know, and I, I remember when I was in school, you know, the proton, neutron, uh, that whole thing about how atoms are formed and things like that. But now we're talking about bacteria. And, you know, you mentioned strep throat a few minutes ago. Yeah, that brings back memories because when I was in college, it seemed like I couldn't, I couldn't walk from one end of the hallway to the other without getting strep throat. It's like I had nonstop strep throat. And I think the reason I kept getting it is because I was stubborn. I wouldn't take my antibiotics. I, you know, I took them until I felt better. And then it's like, okay, I don't have to take these anymore. But just because I felt better, like I didn't have the, the, uh, the pain in my throat and I didn't have the scratchiness and what have you, didn't mean it was gone. It just meant the system, the symptoms were suppressed and receding. Didn't mean a strep throat was gone. So I uh, kept getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And then I got uh, a discipline around taking the antibiotics. And I haven't had strep throat since I was in college. It stopped hmm. there because I got smart about taking the full course of medications. They prescribed me two weeks of antibiotics to take the whole two weeks. It's, you know, it's pretty simple. Right, right. And so, and so I started asking myself interesting questions. In fact, one time my family and I went on vacation, and we were in the Costa Rica cloud forest, which is a really cool place. We're yeah. in the jungle, and, um, and there were these trees, and they, they, the branches sprout these vines, and the vines go straight down to the ground, and when they hit the ground, they sprout a root, and then the root starts growing in the ground. So you've got the main roots in the trunk going up. And then at the end of the branches, here comes these things back down. And the guy explains to us, he says, he says those tr the soil is thin and the, the regular roots can't get as much nutrition as they want. So the trees sprouted these other things. And I looked at that and I said, okay, I already know like how these bacteria, like bacteria are absolutely amazing. They will go get the machinery they need from wherever they can get it. And, the, and, the, and the, they're constantly adapting and changing. So that being the case, I'm looking at this tree and I'm going, that tree did the same kind of thing. And that tree figured out, hey, um, you know, there's more nutrition down there. Let me go get some. How did the tree think of that? And I kind of had this zen-like moment where I'm like, Wow, that tree had to ask itself some pretty interesting questions. And then I thought, what if a Google ad was as smart as that tree? What if, what if a Facebook ad um, could ask itself the same questions that a bacterium would ask? And what, what if it could sit there in the corner of your screen and go, I want this guy to click on me. I want this guy to click on me. What should I say? What would right. it do? Okay, and, and so, like, you know, it's kind of wacky, right? But I, I'm thinking about this, and I said, hey, wait a minute. Like, like, what if, like, what if you wanted your Google ads to rewrite themselves so the humans didn't have to do the work, right? Like AI, how would that work? And I ended up coming up with this whole thing called the Swiss Army Knife. 
Now, in my book, Evolution uh-huh. 2.0, in, in, in my book, Evolution 2.0, I explain that there are five major tools in the evolutionary tool belt of what cells do. Um, and, and I've only described one of them, and it's called horizontal gene transfer, and that's where the bacteria are trading genes with each other going, hey, you, you got a pump? Oh, you, 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 got a, you got a hammer? You got a screwdriver? You got a saw? You know, like this stuff is going on. Well, I said, what if I came up with a Swiss Army knife for advertising? How would that work? What if I came up with a Swiss Army knife for storytelling? And now, so I started teaching Google AdWords. It would have been, it was almost 15 years ago that I, well, that I started using it. And then probably about 13 years ago, I was, uh, I was writing books and, and, and doing seminars. And so there's all this stuff in Google ads. And um, one of the, here's, so, it was like this massive revelation to the whole world when all of a sudden you could just write two, three, four, five ads. Google would test them for, for you. They would track the conversions. And now the world, like any marketer who knows anything, knows that you're supposed to test ads. And, you know, if you can imagine 25 years ago, people didn't usually do that because it was too hard. But but now it's easy, right? And so, And so what I found is, one of the brick walls, one of the major brick walls that most people run into is they run out of good ideas. They're like, well, right. we, we wrote these 20 ads and this one won, and I'm afraid I'm going to have to write about 80 more before I get another winner, and it's going to cost us a lot of money to test all those other ads, and we're stuck, and they, they give up. And, 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 and so what the Swiss Army Knife became was the systematic creativity tool and it was it was these 16 blades. It was like, well, let's start by asking these questions, and then the, let's go to these other ones. Let's go to these other ones. So, for example, here, here's an, one example. One blade of the Swiss Army knife is visual versus auditory versus kinesthetic. I mean, that's a basic way of human learning. The NL people know, NLP people know all about this, that some people – um, they relate to words that are hearing oriented. Other people relate to words that are vision oriented. Other people relate to touch oriented words. And so you could take any ad, any headline, any anything, and you could say, okay, we're going to write this in kinesthetic language instead of. And so we we started teaching people how to do this, and they start crushing their their old ideas. And again, the original inspiration came from. What are these cells really doing? Because I, I kind of think of them as blindfolded. Like, like I don't, I don't think the tree can go to the library and like, you know, um, look at a book of inventions and say, hey, you know, let's do this. But in some way, it's groping around, it's trying, it's finding stuff. And um, you know, we got AI um, happening more and more all around us, and um, and, and so this is actually very useful. And so I actually um, I put together a whole online supplement to go with the evolution book. I, I didn't want to put a bunch of business stuff in the evolution book because most people, if they went to the library and they wanted an evolution book, they'd go, oh, my goodness, what's all this stuff about Google ads? Like, why is that in here, right? That, that'd be a little too weird. But, 
but I did put it online. Um, and uh, and so, you know, if, if you get the book, uh, there's supplements inside the book, and you can go log in and, and you can sign up. And I mean, we actually give away, it's probably worth several hundred dollars at least, of stuff, and I I just wanted to make this book really useful, and I I wanted people to see that that business and science and nature are not separate disciplines that don't talk to each other. They're actually all part of one world, and furthermore, I think one of the most valuable things that you can ever do is adopt a interdisciplinary or transdisciplinary mindset where you say, I've been working on this in my little sphere, in my little bubble, and I've only gotten so far. And I think the answer I'm looking for is probably in a different profession. It's in a different topic. It's in a whole different realm. And if I can learn to recognize the big patterns out there, instead of just being in my isolated little bubble, I can solve this. There is a way to solve this. And and so I, I hope that I'm able to inspire a different level of thinking with Evolution 2.0. Wow. Uh, one of the things I loved about you last time, and I like about you this time as well, is uh, I ask you one question, you end up answering like three of the ones I was planning to ask. So... Uh, sometimes when we get experts on the Business Creators Radio Show who can just take it and run with it, that is just amazing. Like, uh, my next question to you is going to be, what is the Swiss Army knife, and can you show me an example of how to use it? You just went ahead and did that. <laughs> that is amazing. I love it. Uh, well, I'll, so I'll give you another uh, another Swiss Army knife example. So, Great. Um, one of the... Um, one of the blades in the bio, the biology evolution toolbox is called symbiogenesis. It's symbiotic relationships. And the yeah. most brilliant example of this is, you know, everybody in high school biology, they learned that, that the thing that makes plants green is a chloroplast, right? And it, you know, it, oh, it I takes remember. sunlight and it processes, it, it consumes carbon dioxide and like everybody knows that but you know what's interesting you know what a chloroplast actually is it's an it's an algae it's algae it's an algae cell that lives inside a plant cell it has its own dna it reproduces on its own but it's in a cooperative partnership with the blade of grass or with the leaf or, you know, or the moss or whatever it is that's green. Like literally everything out there that you look at your window is green. It's green because it has algae inside. It's a cell inside a cell. It's like wow. a Starbucks inside a Marriott hotel. <laughs> I get it. Okay. And this is, Symbiogenesis is a major, major way that nature operates. Now, symbiosis is cooperation. Now, this exposes a real problem with the old school Darwinian view. So, like, Darwinian is a synonym for cutthroat competition, right? 
Yes. Nature, nature is not nearly as cutthroat as those guys are making you think it is. Nature tries to cooperate. I mean, I've got books here that go on for hundreds of pages showing all kinds of different symbiotic relationships. For example, lichen is algae living in fungus. And the, and lichen can survive in places that neither algae nor fungus can survive. And the, the mitochondria in your body, everybody's at least heard of it. Most people don't know what it is. A mitochondria is a bacteria inside animal and human cells that process processes oxygen. The mitochondria yeah. take the oxygen and they turn it into energy. They are actually separate cells. They're basically bacteria that live inside a home, which is a human body cell. Now, you can so you you can say, I've got a business problem. How do I solve this? And you can walk across the street into the biology department. You go, well, all right, how do cells do this? And you go, well, what something can you put inside something that maybe goes inside something else that maybe even goes inside something else? And every single layer actually changes what it is. Or Intel inside, that is a symbiotic relationship. And, and what I found was most of the things that nature does humans are already doing, they just don't do as well. Like, we can actually go to nature and we can see better ways of doing things than we do them with our normal education and intuition. Right. Yeah. Uh, so what I'd like to um, just uh, get into a little bit deeper is just tell us, uh, I know you're already heading down that path, but what else can business people learn from Mother Nature? Well, so let's let's talk about storytelling. Um, so, I when I watch movies, uh, you know, I think most people they watch a movie and it's just entertainment. When I watch a movie, I see this whole other level. Why? Because I'm a writer and a storyteller and a marketer, and really, I think. Adam, I think marketers are required to be the most wide awake people in the world. Marketers yeah, of all true. people cannot be sleepwalking, okay? So most people, they go to the movie theater, they're entertained, you know, it squirts a little happy juice in their brain, they go home, and, and, and they're done. Okay, but when Perry goes to Lord of the Rings, when marketing maniacs go to the Lord of the Rings, they go... Okay, so what's going on with this story? So there, every epic story has eight stages. And here, here's what they are. Um, so it starts, the, the stage one is a memory of paradise. Things were really good, okay? So like beginning of Lord of the Rings, it's, it's showing this panoramic views. And this woman with a sad, melancholy voice starts telling, there were elves and there, you know, but then, you know, a shadow was cast across the land and a chill in the wind, right? Right? Stuff yeah. started to go wrong. And then step two is there's a disaster. 
right? Somebody kicks down the door and machine guns start blaring. And, and then number three, you have a reluctant hero who he didn't have any intention on getting involved in any of this. He was just Frodo's in the Shire and they're having a little birthday party and, you know, Bilbo Baggins is 111, but then all of a sudden, oh, you know, he's messing with his ring, and then these horsemen come along, and guess what, Frodo, you have to take this. What, me? Yes, you, right? And he doesn't want the job. But now, so step three is a, a reluctant hero has to take this on, all right? Step four yeah. of, of an epic story is there's an unexpected victory. Uh, so it's like, you know, you're about 45 minutes into the movie, and they won. And then you look at the little time bar, and you're like, boy, there's an hour and 16 minutes left. Like, I don't think this is probably over, you know. <laughs> and then and then the next step, step five, is there's a devastating, crippling, crushing defeat. And now your hero is laying on the battlefield, and he's bleeding, and you know, probably some somebody really important dies and, you know, and it's all bleak and uh, the villages are all burned down, right? And then step six, there is a moment of grace, something that you couldn't possibly have anticipated happens and it turns everything around. So like in Lord of the Rings, one of those moments is when Helm's Deep in, in the Two Towers is, is about to cave in and the king is giving up and everybody's despairing and the women and children are hiding. And then all of a sudden Gandalf comes riding around on this, you know, horse and he's got these, this army that he recruited from some deal from a thousand years ago. And then every, and the trees are walking around and that's kind of miraculous, right? Okay. And then they win. And then the hero gets the kingdom and then he gets the girl. Now, Star Wars is like this. And uh, Karate Kid is like this, and The Lion King is like this, and the Bible stories are like this, and The Odyssey is like this. So, so th th this is how it works. Now, what I said with Swiss Army Knife was, well, those elements of a story are, it's like I got these eight things, but I can actually handle these eight things any one of these other ways, right? So... I can flip things around. I can do it this way. I can do it that way. And so what we do, practically speaking now, Adam, is we'll take somebody's landing page, and they're going, well, I'm getting an 8.3% response, and really we're losing money at that level. If we could get this up to 12%, but nobody's been able to get this to 12%, what we'll do is we'll get out our, our Swiss Army knife, and we'll go, okay. Instead of trying to think of something – we are going to step through these options and go, okay, so instead of focusing on the victory, let's move over to the part of the story. Let's emphasize the devastating defeat, and let's write a landing page about that, or let's write an email about that, or let's do a Facebook ad about that. And so we start coming at it at all these different angles. Well, I've hardly ever seen a situation where we couldn't get the breakthrough that people needed. And it's from evolutionary thinking. Like, I got the idea of staring at a tree in Costa Rica uh, and knowing a, a, a thing yeah. or two about cells. 
but but you can do this. Like it's it's a whole other way of thinking. Yeah. So I, I mean, again, I think what we're getting here is so we can learn so much from business about what's already around us, around like nature and things like that. So what I'd like to do is, uh, you know, we are actually getting near the the top of the hour here. This is just flowing so smoothly here; it's unbelievable. But there is like. Um, there is one or two things that I believe we haven't yet covered here, although um, just by me asking one question, you've basically gone through the entire list. Uh, what I would like to get into a little bit is how, uh, you know, people who live in the city, uh, you know, like I live in a suburban area just north of the uh, Las Vegas Strip in a neighborhood called Summerlin, and I know that uh, I'm definitely not in the middle of nature here. Uh, I'm in the middle of tall buildings and artificial shrubs basically is what I'm in the middle of. But beyond that, uh, why do city people find themselves deprived of nature? Well, you, you know, um, I, I had an experience a few years ago. I, I, I had some friends invite me on a, on a trip uh, to Western Ireland and I was just kind of going along and okay, well, let's see what happens. And I kind of had this startling, surprised-by-nature experience where, you know, it really spoke to me at these much deeper levels. It, it, was, it was really one of the most uh, transformative things that I've ever done. And, um, you know, I, I think most modern people, they're disconnected from nature they're disconnected from beauty. They don't get enough beauty. Um, they they don't they don't go to the woods. They they don't sit and watch a waterfall. They don't, and it affects you. Okay. And I and and here's another thing that that I found very interesting about city people versus country people. Um, if if I walk up to a person, I say. So guess what? Um, if I tell them the old school Darwinism story, which is, you know, all you need is millions of years, billions of, you know, billiard balls banging around the universe and a lot of bloody competition, eventually you're going to have all this. A city people is a city person is much more likely to believe that story than a country person. A country person will go, uh, that's not quite right. There's something really majestic about nature that goes above and beyond your, you know, billiard balls and natural selection or whatever. And the city yeah. person go, no, we have all these famous scientists and they all agree. Uh, yeah, but all, all those famous scientists, nature is in a test tube in their lab under a microscope and they live in cubicles and they work for bureaucracies and they're, mostly government employees and um they don't like a lot of stuff they tell you defies all common sense um like right. i knew from common sense like um random accidents don't engineer things uh it doesn't matter how much survival the fittest you try to work into the equation um and and so i i, I really believe that what city people and i live in chicago and i mean I live right in the middle too. Like I'm in, I'm in urban, you know, like urban city, man. Um, I think 
you have to deliberately take time and go out and like shut off your cell phone and don't bring your computer and and go go do that and a lot of people never do that and they have no idea what they're missing i think if you do that your intuition comes back your moods become better the depression goes away you can think clearer um i think this is really important like this is not just an interesting idea like no you should plan time to go do stuff like that it's really important i think you're absolutely right and you know if you want to talk about uh, you know our connection to our smartphones and all these technological devices and such uh, you may recall i believe it was earlier this year that there was the quote unquote scandal about people going to Tony Robbins events and walking across the coals and getting burned while walking across the coals. And yeah, this was I, another yeah. one of those things that was like hyped up for, I mean, it was just sensationalism. But what it really comes down to is uh, when you're walking across a hot surface, and I personally can verify this because when we get the 120 dry, sunny days in Las Vegas, uh, and I'm down by the swimming pool, the concrete that's around the pool gets and I, I'm, and by the numbers, I'm telling you, the concrete by the pole is almost as hot as they make those coals at the Tony Robbins events because there's a oh, wow. certain temperature they wow. make those coals. That is how hot it gets. You know how you don't get burned walking on it? You move briskly and you keep moving. <laughs> so, yeah, when you're on the coals and you want to take a selfie to show, hey, look at me on the coals, yeah, you're going to get burned because you're not moving. Duh. Oh, I mean, wow. so that I mean that right there is just a simple but classic example of how, as you said, uh, when you get too close to your devices and you get too close to those screens for too long, your intuition kind of fades, and getting rid of those things or getting away from them for a while has the effect of bringing the intuition back. Because, yeah, if I wasn't thinking, oh, yeah, I want to take a selfie and I want to show everybody in my mastermind group I'm on Tony Robbins' coals, you know <laughs> intuitively, keep walking. <laughs> wow. God. Well, so true. And, and look, you know, you, you, you've got to remember, like, you know, most of your news comes from people who've been locked in a little cubicle for who knows how many weeks, months, or years. Um, right. Right. Like hardly ever even getting fresh air, you know. And so, uh, you know, we don't have to go on a rant about the media, but I mean, you you just really got to question, like, uh, how about things you can see, hold, touch, feel, experience, rather than what you're told. You know, there, there's an old saying, um, believe none of what you hear. Um, half of and half of what you see, uh, or you know something like that, and and I, I think that's really appropriate advice. Right. Uh, I also believe in uh, what our late president Ronald Reagan would advise is trust but verify, uh, and I translate that to do your own fact checking. Don't take anything as being the word of truth, because I also believe that. Uh, in order to have an effective and healthy relationship with the truth, you have to understand, and I've said this myself, and I'd like to get your thoughts on this in the last few minutes while we have here. I'd love to hear from Perry Marshall on this. It's my argument that there's no such thing as the truth, because 
truth in each individual is determined by the sum total of their experiences and their perceptions and how their life have, has gone. You could have three people witness the same event, uh, and they all take a polygraph test. They all give different descriptions of what they saw, and they all pass the polygraph test. Uh, which, and this is one of the most powerful lessons that I was given as an entrepreneur is to understand the difference between, quote, unquote, the truth versus your truth or my truth. So what do you think of that, Perry? Well, so I, I think uh, it's kind of a paradox. Um, so as, as a marketer, um, I do understand that perception is reality that, that that my job as a communicator is to is to whatever i say needs to get inside the other person's brain in a way that they understand what i'm trying to say right uh, in yeah. fact my 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 late friend tom hubyar he was an nlp guy he said he said the meaning of any statement is the response that it elicits, which, which of course is not necessarily the same thing as what you said, right? Like you can, you can say something and she slaps you across the face. You're like, uh, uh, I didn't mean for you to do that. Right. right. So, so on, on one hand, perception is reality. On the other hand, I do think, that there is an, a, an objective reality that exists in our job living inside our bodies and our brains and our experiences is to try to get as close to that truth as, as we can and that that is a lifetime pursuit. And, and, and as a practical matter, what I find is, you know, you don't have to know everything. You just need to know a few things that you really, really know are true. It's truth is very eighty twenty. You know, I mean, there. If 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 the truths that you accept are the right twenty percent, and they really are reliable. I mean, obviously, there's you know, there's Soviet accounting, not really the truth, right? And then there's right. good, honest accounting, right? And so. All of us kind of have this job and this quest in our whole life. You know, it's like I said, I'm going to get to the truth about evolution if it's the last thing I do and pursue, pursue, pursue. Well, now I have part of it. I at least know certain facts that I can observe and verify, and they're interesting. And you know what? They raise more and more and more questions, and I think the most fun thing you can do in your life is pursue those questions. Yeah, I think so. Well, uh, Perry, you know, I would love to keep speaking with you for hours and hours and hours and hours, but believe it or not, we have successfully filled 54 minutes and 57 seconds of conversation. We have just enough time for me to ask you one more very important question, which is uh, for those who find themselves interested in this relationship between evolution and business and how you can use principles of nature and evolution to evolve your business, where do they go to take the next step? Well, you can – my, my book is on Amazon. It's called Evolution 2.0, Breaking the Deadlock Between Darwin and Design. And inside the book uh, is access to an online supplement. It's got a whole bunch of stuff that, that I'm describing. Like you really, you really can sit down with, with the, the stuff in the members area, 
which comes free with a book, and, and you can totally revolutionize your business. Uh, you can also go to CosmicFingerprints.com and get three free chapters of Evolution 2.0 right on the homepage at CosmicFingerprints.com. And I just want to encourage everybody uh, to you, dear reader, like uh, even, you know, one at a time, be curious, ask questions, ask dangerous questions. Don't assume that what everybody's been telling you is true. Go verify things for yourself. Trust your common sense and, you know, and follow the rabbit hole where it leads. That's great. And uh, let's just make sure everybody has the domain for your book, which is www.cosmicfingerprints.com. That's www.cosmicfingerprints.com. I'm going to urge everybody to check out that page and see more about Evolution 2.0 and make your decision to invest in the book. It's also available on all your major online retailers like Amazon and such. So, uh, and Audible. Oh, an Audible. Yes, absolutely. I have a I have a drive to San Diego coming up pretty soon, and I love a good audio book. Uh, between San Diego or Los Angeles and Las Vegas, that's a five-hour drive, and your average size audio book is perfect for that. So I'll definitely go. be picking up a copy for my next drive. Well, Adam, it's really great being on your show, and, uh, you know, just want to – Give a shout out to all the business creators out there. Uh, evolve your business and use a structure when you do it. You know, don't just yeah. wake up and try to think of something. Ask yourself specific questions. Go through a process. It, it really does work. You bet. And for everybody listening, um, first of all, Perry Marshall, I want to thank you for joining us once again and for this outstanding information. Well, thank you and uh, have a have a great drive down to San Diego. Take care. You bet. It's been a, you bet. It's been an honor and an education. And for everybody listening, this is Adam Homie, host of the Business Creators Radio Show. Please check out our previous and our upcoming episodes at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com and on iTunes, where we help you win at the game of business and marketing. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.